I'd like for you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 8 and 9. We've been here many times. We'll be here many more times. We're living in the time in which this verse seems to me to be intensified on the earth. And more and more people are becoming prey to the devil. More and more people are giving up, giving in, or losing heart, fainting, or drawing back. Call it whatever you want to. But in 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished by your brethren that are in the world. And if one man knew something about that subject, it would have been Peter. For he encountered the devil many times. Remember Jesus told him once, he said, the devil has desired you that he may sift you as wheat. I prayed for you and so forth. We'll probably refer to that again in a minute. Then he sunk on the sea. Remember when he began to sink? Jesus reached out and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So there's many instances in Peter's life in which the experiences that he's talking about here were very real and people need to be warned about. Because the Bible says this, We all have an adversary. All of us do. And he does the same thing with one that he does with everybody else. He goes about like a roaring lion. He's on the prowl. The word prowl has to do with looking for prey, stalking prey. And he goes about like a roaring lion looking for the one that he can devour. The word literally means to drink down, to consume. Not to keep you from being religious in some degree, not to make you stop going to church, but to take the meaning of it out, to make it meaningless so that you're no threat to him and his kingdom. And he said, we must resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that we're not the only ones that are going through things. There are two unchanging facts in life. There are probably many, but there's two in particular unchanging facts in this life. One is that there is a reason for all of your conflicts and your hardships. I know of nobody that doesn't have them in this life, whether you're a Christian or not. I don't know that many of my ancestors were Christians at all, and I can re well recall the difficulties in a lot of ways and the hopelessness that my parents, when they faced things or discussed matters, somebody died, somebody was hurt, and there was just no solution. It's just sort of a desperate thought and idea, mindset. And so this is going to happen to everybody. There is going to be conflicts and hardships, and secondly, the devil will come against you. You may not know it's the devil. Most people are totally ignorant of his devices and his wiles and his schemes. But he is the one who comes to kill and steal and destroy, to rob, suppress, depress, oppress, cheat. He wants to lie and steal, deceive you in any way that he can to render you helpless unable to resist him. That's what he does. That's the craft that he employs when he goes 
about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. He doesn't care if you go to church or, or not. He doesn't care if you're well or sick. He goes about to do what he is given to do. And it's just nature to kill and to steal and destroy. Now, let's go back to number one about the hardships. Everybody encounters them. There's two reasons why you encounter hardships. There's two specific reasons why you have difficulties in this life. One is because of sin and rebellion. That's probably the most common. Sin and rebellion. A turning away from God, either what He has taught you that doesn't seem to work for you right now. I don't know about that stuff. And and so you ignore it, which we call rebellion, or just plain old sin. Remember in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 8, what God said, he said, if you do well, will you not be all right? You'll profit. But he said, but if you do not well, what a verse in the beginning of the Bible. If you do not well, this is why. It is because sin lies at the door and his desire, sin, his, his desire is for you or its desires for you, but you must resist him and rule him. And you can. And a lot of people don't know that. They think that life is just full of this's and that's, and there's not much you can do about it. Just roll with the punches. But the Bible says we are to rule and to master him, the one who goes about like a roaring lion. We do not have to be a prey. We do not have to be victims. We do not have to be overridden and overturned and in despair and walk through life with no... We're Christians, Either we have been given solutions or we have not. But when we ignore the solutions that God gives us, then we call it sin. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, that's a choice you have to make, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And the other reason, the second reason that we have difficulties in life is because we're being sifted or tested. It may seem like an awful thing. What have you done wrong? Why me? And yet, like Jesus said to Peter, the devil has desired you that he may sift you as sweet because he's not convinced that your Christianity is all like you tell it to be or like you think it is or you're all together what you say you are. And his goal is to sift you and show you that you're not or make you fail so you'll grieve over it. Then you'll feel bad about it. Then you feel unworthy to come before the Lord anymore and just defeat you that way. But he's going to sift you. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you've been taught just a little bit of what you should be taught regularly, the devil's going to come against it and take it away from you if he can. You're going to be tested and you're going to be tried. And Jesus again said to Peter that he may sift you as sweet. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you that what? That your faith, there's that word again, that your faith fail not. Jesus isn't going to make your faith work. He gave it to you. It does work, but you have to employ it. You have to exercise it. That's what you have to do. Again, in our text, the devil is pictured as an adversary who is like a lion who lives off of prey. And that's what he does. And why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he try to make your life miserable or your marriage miserable or one of your children miserable or your body miserable? Why wouldn't he? That's what he does. 
He's the author of lies and disease and sickness from the beginning to the end. He's behind it all. And if you can cooperate with him or if he can convince you to cooperate with him, then you're playing on his turf. Let me tell you how Isaiah describes this. This is what we're talking about. Turn to Isaiah chapter 59. This is not an easy verse to translate in Hebrew. There's some differences of understanding or translation of this verse, but I'm just going to read it for what it says in the King James here. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. That would be the east. Notice these words, and you've heard these before. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. Now, we want to know that the devil will come. He comes in various ways. Sometimes he comes unannounced, robed in robes of righteousness, wolves in sheep's clothing, behind a pulpit, sitting in a chair, wearing a striped shirt or a white jacket. He comes in many ways. Any way that he would be tolerated or allowed or not discerned, he'll come at you that way. But let me tell you something. God cares about your success and your victory and what you're going through. Whether you realize it or not, God really does care about your situation. So much so that he said here in verse 19, he said, but when the enemy shall come in like a flood, then the Spirit of the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. Now, if God didn't really care how you did, or if God was static in your life's problems and ways, and he wouldn't do anything. He just said, well, see what you're going to do. But God has supplied something to you. He gives you a word. He teaches you. This is the way you walk in, and he watches over his word to perform it, guaranteeing that if you do what he said, he will perform what he said. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. That's what God has promised us and guaranteed us about his word. It's why in Deuteronomy 32, God said his word is life. It is our life. This is what we live by. Jesus said man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is what we have. This is really all we need. For some people said, you mean that's all we got? This is all you need. Every provision a man could have is made in here. There's like 8,000 promises in the Bible. Most Christians are ignorant of most of them. Or if they've heard of them, they didn't believe them because they can't see it anywhere. I don't know anybody has been healed like that. I haven't seen that. How do I know that's true? So they base what they believe on what they see. In other words, their doctrine is based on others' experience. But let God be true. And every man a liar. If God said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. And the Bible said when the devil comes in like a flood, said the Spirit of God begins to do what he does. Now remember this. What the Spirit of God is going to use in your life to bring you the victory is his word, right? It's not your good ideas. It's not philosophy. It's not some heady subject you've studied or a book you've read. 
There's only one thing that God uses, and there's only one thing that God watches over. And Jesus told Martha, there's only one thing that's necessary. And that's the Word of God. Because the content of the Word, like he said in Isaiah 55, the Word that goes forth shall not return void, but the Word shall accomplish that which He pleases. It'll prosper in what He sent it to do. Now, if you read the Word, and you read where one of these thousands of promises, that's what He does. Whether anybody believes it or not, your faith doesn't make the Word true. The Word is true whether you believe it or not. It's there so you can have faith. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by something which is eternally settled in heaven. It'll never fade away. The Word of God. It's God's offering to us. And isn't it wonderful that when the enemy comes in to try to damage and destroy your life, that the Spirit of God begins to quicken to you His Word? Now, what if there's no word in your heart? What if you don't pay attention? What does he use? You have nothing in there the Spirit can quicken to use. All you can do is, like a lot of people do, just cry and, and moan and wail and, oh, God, and then begin to tell God all the things they've done and how hard they've tried because God didn't know that. So they have to tell him what they've been doing. But really all it takes is for a person to just listen to that voice. On the inside, bring forth, bring up to you, to your mind and to your remembrance, the Word of God. This is what God has promised. This is what God will do. Now, you may not believe that, and it may never work for you. You may never benefit from it, but that is what He gave us. He gave us the Word. Not some clever new way to get more members. Not some fancy thing to get popular or some book we can write. He just gave us... His Word. It's that simple. This is His Word. And He said, And when the enemy comes in like a flood, this is what activates the Spirit of God in your life. He begins to remind you of those things you were taught, the notes that you took. If you get still and quiet before God, He begins to show you all these things that God watches over to perform. This is what He's promised to do. This is what He said He would do. Now, it's up for you to accept as true what God has said. Not academically, but spiritually. Your heart must embrace that as this is your hope. This is what you can expect to happen. That God will indeed watch over His Word to perform it. He started out by saying, your thoughts are not my thoughts, and the way you live is not the way I want you to live. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You think like me, and what will happen? You'll begin to experience what I promise. It's up to you. It's all a choice. Everybody lives by choices. You choose to or you choose not to, but it's a choice. I know you're familiar with this. When you use the word flood, the kind of description in your mind you get when you think of floods, two things, two elements that destroys everything in life is fire and water. You've seen pictures of these terrible things that happen to people. And people home burned down. There's nothing left to rescue. It's just gone. It's really terrible. And a flood is equally as terrible because it's not gone. It's just ruined. It lies there looking at you. You've got to deal with it. You don't rebuild it. I mean, it's still standing and it's just ruined. Everything is warped and stained and stinks and it's ruined. Everything is a mess, and sometimes you look at these people that have gone through the loss of everything by a flood, and there's this hopeless look, and 
The TV people love to hear people talk about their tragedies and see the tears in their eyes. I mean, people lost whatever they had. And yet you can see it. It's not burned and gone. It's just right. It's like everything you worked for is ruined. And chances are the flood that came, if you had insurance on your home, it wouldn't cover that. So you're looking at zero. See, I think in the natural, that's kind of a picture of what the devil wants to do to people in the spiritual sense. See, all this church going didn't help you in this, did it? You're not any better off, are you? You lost everything. You know what? That message in the Bible doesn't work, and it does work. But he makes you think it doesn't work because the goal, again, is to destroy, to kill, to steal, and destroy, to faint, to lose heart, to give up, to draw back, and then to begin to cry and complain and murmur and whimper. Nothing in the Bible like that glorifies God and honors God. Think it not strange concerning the trials that you're going to have in this life. They're going to come. Just know your adversary. Do not be ignorant of his devices. Hide your weapons. you got a sword. We're in a warfare. Hide that word in your heart. And when he comes in, draw your sword and go to fighting. I don't care what he does. You fight. You fight from the beginning. And you fight all the way through it towards the end. Because, you see, God cares. God cares about you. If he didn't care about you, there wouldn't be that activity of the Spirit to quicken you as to what you can do and what belongs to you so that you can get the victory. If God didn't care, that wouldn't happen. God really does care. He cares about you more than you can imagine. Look with me just for a moment in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. you got to like this. This is a good verse of Scripture. you got to like all of the Word. But thanks be to God... Who giveth us what? God causes us to what? Triumph. He causes it. It's not like you're so clever and so shrewd that you know how to operate. You've been given the word. You do something. But it's God who causes you to triumph. Why would he cause you to triumph? Because he don't want you to fail and quit. And most people do. Most people do. Remember the sower and the seed when... A guy with immediately received the word and with joy and all of that kind of stuff. Well, when persecution came by and by, he was offended. And he quit. A lot of people do. I've known so many people in the last 40 years of my Christian life that were once there, sounded great, looked great, acted great, and then disappeared. I don't know what happened. I don't know what came along in their life. All I can tell you was they were taught that something would come along. That there would be days that if you're not careful, that he will come at a time you expect not. And if you're not prepared, you'll be defeated. But God hasn't left doing his work in our lives when we're walking through troubled world, difficult times. His spirit is there to bring you something that will get you the victory. In Psalm 56, he said that God is for me. He's not against me. God is for me. He's on my side. And in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, in your Bible there, no temptation has taken you but such as is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tested 
beyond that which you are able. You have limits, limitations. God knows that, and the devil knows that, and God will not allow the business of the devil against you to be greater than your ability in trusting God to overcome it. But you've got to overcome. You cannot do as most Christians do, just go to church, put in their time, and go home and get nothing and think nothing and do nothing. Because the enemy is going to come. He want to come to snatch that word that was in your heart. Remember the sower and the seed? Some of the word that fell on the hard soil, what the devil do? A man came along, the Bible said, to receive the word, but he didn't understand it. He didn't make application of it, didn't seek to know what it means. He didn't put his mental activity in to get the understanding of what that means. And the Bible said the devil took away the word that was sown in his heart. It can happen. I've seen it happen. Again, I've had to watch a lot of people decline spiritually. I've stood here the last 30 years, and I have seen decline. I've seen people who were up, and I've seen people come down and then slide. I think, what happened? You were told the enemy's going to come along to do something. Was it the glamour of the world and the promise of success and fame or some him or some her? Was it money? What was it that came along and captured your affections and turned you from loyalty and devotion to God to some exciting new way in life that when you look back ten years later, spiritually you're gone? You have no heart for it anymore. What happened? How does it happen to taught people? It happens. It does all the time. It does happen. But God said he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. Now, in what way does God show that he cares? In other words, what does God do specifically to keep you from being defeated, drawing back, fainting, and quitting? We'll go back to Isaiah 59, where we started. And we'll begin there. Isaiah 59. This is what God does for you in your difficulties. Number one, hopefully, people know you. Hopefully, people are aware of your life, your needs. Maybe this is why fellowship is so important, because the more of the right kind of people that you're around, the more we become familiar with each other's needs as well as successes and blessings. How many times in your life has somebody that you know, love, care for, you're in fellowship with in a church, how many times have you seen people go through something or one of their kids or maybe their marriage or maybe it's some physical thing that they're going through and you've seen that with other people and you felt compelled to pray? To not sit back and say, well, isn't that awful? Well, I told you that would happen. He did No, you see your brother or sister, you feel this compelling influence of the Lord to pray. And just stop what you're doing. And we call this interceding. It is to, in this case, to pray or seek God for the betterment of somebody else. Or we call it sometimes standing with somebody in prayer. It's somebody taking their time, which we 
think is very precious and, and spending their time on your behalf because of you and for you before God, that God would deliver you, change your circumstances, whatever it is, that God would turn things around for you. Now, verse 16, Isaiah 59 and verse 16 Let me just show you some things that he's talking about here are the difficulties in the nation amongst the people. Verse 12, our transgressions are multiplied before you. Our sins testify against us. Verse 13, we've departed away from our God. We speak oppression, revolting, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood. We're not even honest. Verse 15, yea, truth is fallen. We no longer turn to truth or put much emphasis upon the truth. Same book of Isaiah said one time they came to him and said, prophesy illusions to us. Quit talking about the Holy One of Israel. Man, you're bothering us. Prophesy illusions. Speak smooth things. And we'll stay with you. So they said truth in verse 15. Yea, truth is fallen. And he that departs from evil makes himself a prey. Everybody begins to attack him. Verse 16. Now, when this kind of stuff is going on in a city, a town, a nation, and worse of all, in a church, God said this was his complaint. He said, and he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. There was no intercessor. You mean somebody's not concerned about this to pray about it? How many of you remember in Ezekiel 22, the verse about standing in the gap? And if you read almost the whole 22nd chapter of Ezekiel, it's deplorable the way Israel was acting. How their disregard for the law, disregard for what is right, disregard for what they've been taught. Every man turned to his own ways, was doing his own thing, violating the law. They weren't dying or getting sick, so they weren't being judged, at least not yet. And God said, I sought for a man among them who would stand before me on the behalf of the land and build up the hedge and so forth. And he said, I couldn't find one. Everybody was so busy and so distracted with their own life that nobody really looked at the bigger picture because God's going to judge stuff like that. It would be embarrassing this morning to ask how many in this room pray for this nation. This nation is not exactly a pristine Christian nation. And yet so many people are only concerned about themselves, me getting mine. And sorry about you, but I'm all for me. We would much rather complain about politics and about the president and about all the things. We'd much rather have a voice against all of that and a yeah, yeah about that than we would to pray that God would change it. Now, we know that he could. He's able to do that. But it says here he wondered that there was no man. There was no man who interceded. There was no intercessor. Nobody cared. No big deal. In the church, who prays? I wonder how many people just in this room, whoever you are out there in the electronic world, how many people pray every day, have something specific on their heart and mind that they really want God to deal with? They really want God every day to do something specific.
I find that the more you do it every day, the more you want to do it every day. Every day. Not a day goes by that this doesn't happen at least once, sometimes two or three times a day to pray for these people that are in a place none of us want to be in Afghanistan. I pray for them. I want God to know as I single out these people. I don't know everybody over there. I know four. I don't even know past four. I know these four right here. I know every one of them by name and by association. I want them to come home. I don't want them to be harmed and injured. I don't want anything to happen to them. I want them to come home safe. I care, and I want them here. I can't make them safe. I can't be a human shield, and I'm not going to be. You're welcome. Amen. I can't do that, but I care. Now, if you care, if you really do care about anything that troubles you, if you care, you will pray. God will stir you up to do that. And how many times does God stir up one on the behalf of another? Peter was in jail in Acts 12. They were going to eliminate Peter from history. And the Bible says the church made prayer for him without ceasing. They got together. They don't want him to die. They don't want to lose him. They're not sure what's going to happen. Nobody knows tomorrow yet. God does. God's already in your tomorrows. But we don't know. We know we can't just go change the world by what we do. We know that God can, so we turn to God. When the enemy comes in like a flood, isn't it good to know that there are people that are praying not only for your success and victory, but for everybody that's going through something. Lord, make us to be strong. How about this kind of prayer for the church? Lord, I pray that their eyes will all be opened. It's a part of the prayer routine that you'll open the eyes of the folks in church and help them to see that you're on their side and that you will turn around everything that the devil has brought in their life if they'll just believe. Would it be nice if somebody every day prayed for you like that? I remember being down in Louisiana a few years ago. I was taken by Brother Menard over to see a lady that got up every morning, and I forget how many hours she prayed, and she said, I have been praying for you every day for 20 years, 20-something years, more than that, I think. Why? Because God put you on my heart. Now, do you think, therefore, I need that? I say, lady, you know what? Pray for me. I preach. I'm a preacher. Every day. What if you in this room, somebody every day brought you before the Lord in prayer? Every day. You and your family and your well-being and all the spiritual vitality that God offers would be manifesting itself in your life. What if somebody was praying that for you every day or your children? What if you prayed for your children every day? I do. Every day, you pray for them. You want them all to do well. The ones that don't seem to be doing well, you don't have long in that state because God is going to get you. One day when you're at the height of your whatever you're doing, your heart will be broken like a, like a Kleenex cloth. It'll just be ripped in two. And you'll see the 
deeds of your flesh. And you'll see the sinfulness of your life and the corruption that you've tolerated all your life and how it's ruined you like a flood. And there God will come into that mess just like he came into this mess 1968. And he walks into this mess and he says, I'm here to save you. Your mother and dad have been before me for years praying for you. I'm here to save you. And boo-hoo-hoo-hoo, Mom, Dad, I got saved. Good. I didn't say it's about time. I'm just saying it. Good. Good. Psalms 142, the entire psalm. I want you to look at the language in Psalms 142 about interceding. There are those who, on behalf of another, plead their case in prayer for those who are going through things. Psalms 142 and verse 1. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. Unto the Lord did I make my supplication. That's what we do. That's the encouragement of the Spirit. I poured out my complaint before Him. I showed before Him my trouble. Well, He already knew that, but it's yours to bring it up. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. In the way wherein I walked, they have privately laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld there was no man that would know me. Isn't that sad? Had no friends. Nobody cared about what I'm going through that seemed like I was distant from anybody and everybody. No man cared. No man cared. There was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me, and no man cared for my soul. I remember many, many, many years ago, I preached that one time. I haven't preached it since, but I use that as a text. No man cared for my soul. I think the whole point of the sermon was, if no man does, God does. You are never without help. Somebody cares. Somebody in this room cares, and somebody who brought us to this room cares. God cares. But he said, no man here cared for my soul. Verse 5, I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Then these words. Bring my soul out of prison that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about. That's intercessors. The righteous shall compass me about, for you shall deal bountifully with me. Would God encourage people to pray for you? You ever get a phone call that just to chat and said, you know, so-and-so is going through this or so-and-so is going through that, or did you know that this was going on? No. And once you're told that, aren't you prompted on the inside to stand with that person in prayer? This is one of the ways, a way, that God cares for you. Maybe this is why fellowship is so important. Maybe it's why we ought to be in fellowship with each other. Remember Psalm 91 and verse 15, he said, He shall call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will deliver him from trouble. Now, he said he would deliver you from trouble. 
trouble will come. Trouble will make its point. But God said he will deliver us from trouble. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. Didn't James 5 tell us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? Listen to me. If you are in right standing with God this morning, remember what John said, he that doeth righteousness is righteous. Not just knows about it, not familiar with the terms, but somebody who's endeavoring to live on God's terms. If Christianity is anything, it's living on His terms. You adjust yourself to His way. And if you're living right, trying to live right, doing your best and endeavoring to do right, and this is the way that you want to live and the way you want to work in this world, and if God says to that kind of person, when you get down to pray and you pray with your heart and your soul and you put yourself into your prayer and you really plead on the behalf of another, doesn't God say that prayer has much effect? Well, what if everybody believed that? What if we all believe that and we all would apply ourselves to not only living right, but to taking the opportunity to avail ourselves to the much prayer, much power? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, has much effect. Then if I'm going through some kind of a difficulty and you're praying for me, now, I might be in sin or out of whack, but God will not only convict me of my sin and my being out of whack, but He will grant me repentance so I can be turned around, primarily because you pressed in. You cared for me, or you cared for your sister, or your brother, or somebody, or the country, or something. You cared. And you prayed, and the devil says, well, you're no spiritual giant, you're no prayer warrior, you know, you can't, you know, God won't hear your prayer. And so a lot of people say, well, it wouldn't matter if I pray, I'm sure so-and-so will pray, but no, 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 no. We pray. You contribute. You're a part of the solution. God raised you up not only to walk with Him and to serve Him, but also to stand with your brothers and sisters as the devil comes in like a flood. He'll raise you up to pray and stand with Him and do whatever you have to do. Just like I said about Peter. When Peter was in prison, the Bible said the church made prayer for him without ceasing. It wasn't what we're going to eat tonight or where we're going to go tomorrow or what's on sale. or It was we have a man that needs to be out of his situation that he's in. We're going to stand with him and see to it that he is set free from this thing. Or again, as Ezekiel 22 said, I sought for a man. If God would say, I came down to this place called Shelbyville Christian Assembly, and I sought for a person, man or woman. I sought for somebody who would stand before me on the behalf of the terrible sin that's coming creeps into the town, the drug dealing, the stealing, the corruption. I pleaded and sought with somebody to say, stand before me. Give me your morning. Give me your, some of your afternoon. Give me your night. Did Jesus ever pray all night? I wonder why. 
I wonder why Jesus would have prayed all night long, didn't sleep, and the next day he goes into whatever village he went into and there was absolutely nothing that could stand against him. He was charged. I wonder if it's possible for us to have a life that is so in tune with God that when we pray, God will respond. What if these people are out of whack? What if, what if they're in sin and they have no place in God? You know, God heareth not sinners, John 9 says. Well, you know what? Maybe you're praying that God would do this or that. And then, as I said, God brings them to conviction. They turn around. They ask for forgiveness. God turns them to Him. Then they open their mouth and He listens. You asked. You prayed. You were one of those loving souls in the church that cared about somebody that you're in fellowship with. And maybe that's a great reason why fellowship is so important. Maybe it's why it's so necessary for the saints to assemble together and get to know each other. Because the second thing that God will do, another provision that He will make, and probably the greatest one, is that He will quicken your faith. Your faith. Again, faith is not the denomination or the brand of church you belong to. That's the way it's seen today. Christian faith, Methodist faith, Catholic faith. Faith is a way of life. Faith is how you live. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. You can't see him. And you must believe that he is a rewarder of those who faithfully seek him. You have to believe that when you pray, you're talking to somebody you can't see. Faith is defined as the evidence of things not seen. It's something that you have for something else, things you hope for. And the something else hasn't materialized yet. It's not manifested. You can't see it. But in your heart, you believe it's so. How can that be? Well, let me ask you this. Is there such a thing as a Lamb's Book of Life? Is there such a thing as a book that God has written down the names of all the saved in? Is your name in it? Well, then maybe we ought to all just come forward this morning. Do you know if your name is in it or not? These things are written that you may believe. First John 5 said, well, do you believe? If your name is in the book, you praise the Lord. Rejoice. He said, not because you can cast out devils, but rejoice that your names are written in His book. Well, if you believe your name is in His book, then you rejoice. Why? Because you believe. You believe that. This is how it works. I can't tell you about the pop machine again because we want to do it ten times a year. We've already done it nine. But you all believe. Everybody believes something. You believe the sun will go down tonight. You believe it will come up tomorrow. And you do believe that it will be cold this winter. I'll believe it will just be cool. Well, all right. Hopefully it will be just cool. But he said the one thing that God requires from all of us in life is to believe. Have faith. To have faith. And when the devil comes in, like First Peter 5, our text, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil, like a roaring lion, goes about and so forth. Whom resist, how? Steadfast in the faith. Not all men have faith. Paul wrote that in 2 Thessalonians 3, 2. He said, all men have not faith. 
Well, somebody does. Somebody is able not only to relate to God and know that He is. There are people who say that, you know, whatever God has spoken to us in the form of His book, His Word has not gone out empty. Whatever God has spoken to us is what we can rely on God to do. There's not a handful of Christians anywhere that believes that. Anywhere. But God has said it. He watches over His Word to perform it. And people act like it won't work, but it does work. And the reason it does not work is because of a lack of faith. Let me tell you what. One of the great things that has damaged faith in the church is a lack of expectancy. We read that He could, we don't think He will. I don't expect Him to. And without you realizing it, that happens in our own lives. We don't expect ourselves to do much anymore. We give in ground. We don't hold ourselves. We don't require of ourselves to live a certain way. We don't expect things to work. Therefore, we don't expect to have to try very hard. And we don't try hard. I say we editorially. We know we should seek, but we tried to seek and it didn't work. So we don't expect seeking to do much of anything. So we just back off. People get lazy like that. You get indifferent. You don't expect of yourself anything. You don't think it'll work. How many preachers come out and preach a sermon and don't expect anything to come of it? Well, if that's the case, you ought to get another job. Listen, this is your life. And whatever comes out of here, we pray, I pray, I pray that God will quicken this to your heart. You won't believe what I say. But you'll at least search the Scriptures to see if it's in there or close to it. And then if it is, you'll believe it because it's in there, not because I said it's in there. Our faith has to be based on the Word of God, not the Word of a man. When we were children, we trusted our parents. That was the law. If mom and dad, especially your mom when you were little, if she said the moon was made out of a high grade of cheese... You went to school and told them, oh, it's cheese, buddy. That's cheese up there in the sky. Why? My mom said, didn't question it, didn't doubt it. You believe it because of who said it. Your mother. There's no higher authority when you're a child than your mother. Nobody loves you more than your mother. Nobody cares about you nearly as much as your mother. That's your source. That's where your hopes and dreams are, my mother. And you grow up, you get saved, and you realize that, no, it's all about God. And you begin to treat God that way. But if you don't know Him, if you don't know the Lord, then you're not sure that He will do what He's promised. Therefore, you don't expect Him to do it, but you go to church because it's the proper thing for people to do. People ought to go to church. Faith comes by hearing. Faith is not an academic thing. Let me see. I can memorize this verse. Faith is hearing something that your heart is quickened to. And your insides go, praise God. God will do that. Praise God. It's like I said before, when my wife and I came home from a meeting back in 1969, years ago, we were greener than green but saved. Came home from a meeting in Louisville that we'd been to. 
listened to it and heard things we'd never heard before. Our heart was opened up to receive it. God gave us the understanding of it. And my wife said, we've been robbed. All the things that for all of our life we just stood by and accepted and just put up with and tolerated, you know, the blindness and the divorce and the marital discord and the ruination of this and that, it's just the course of life. We just put up with it and realized that one night we didn't have to. That wasn't given to us. I remember she said, we've been robbed. And I thought, we have been robbed. Nobody ever taught us anything. You know, the Christian church I went to, a good bunch of people. It's just where they were. There wasn't any teaching done in the Word. Nobody would come to a teaching meeting. Church is a performance. You hire the man to say nice things. He's supposed to say nice things, direct the choir, balance the budget, and bury the dead and marry the young. And that's his job. It's not his call. It's his job. That's what he does. The Bible wasn't important. In fact, when I got saved, we began to live and quote the Bible. It offended the people in the church. They were offended by the fact that we were a bunch of Bible quoters, Bible thumpers, legalists, whatever is spiritual. That's what they begin to say. And the more we dove into this word, the more we begin to search it out, the more God began to make it plain and clear to us that this is what God will do. He'll heal our bodies. He'll heal us. And if healing is not quite as much as what you want, then he'll give you health. Beloved, I wish above all things, 3 John 2, that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Is anything too hard for God? We learned that and we thought, well, yeah, I mean, that says that, but that, that doesn't work. Who said it didn't work? Who said it? Was it a preacher, a Sunday school teacher, a friend, your mother? Who told you it didn't work? Who told you that these things don't work? Who told you there are these several thousand promises in the Bible that they don't work today? Who said? Who said that God won't supply all of your needs, that you've got to go to the world to get it? Who told you that? Who taught you that? You didn't learn that from God. We have treated somewhat with scorn all the wonderful promises that God has made because we've let people talk us out of it. And when the enemy comes in, we didn't know it was the devil. We just thought it was the course of life. Some people make it through life pretty good and some people don't. Knock on wood. You don't have to knock on wood. It's the devil you're fighting. And the one thing that the devil dreads in your life is faith. For a person to genuinely believe that God will do what he said, and I rest my case right there. If God said it, he'll do it. If God spoke it, he'll make it good. Amen. That's Numbers 23. That's Old Testament. Jesus said, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you have received them and you shall have them. That's New Testament, and who believes it? At the first sign of a problem, an attack, a flaw, a difficulty, people run to some other source. They bypass the Word of God. And they're offended if you say, well, won't you just trust the Lord? With all your heart and lean. Uh, yeah, why don't you do that? I know how that sounded because the first time I heard it, I thought, whoa. Then I would ask myself, well, what does it say? Has God changed His mind? Is it too hard today to do this? As I've shared you once before, when I was in India back in the 80s teaching there, 
I believe the Word of God will work for them just like it will work for us. I don't think the Bible says you have to live in a certain locale in order for these blessings to come to pass. I just think people have never been taught. They've been hidden. They've been under a curse. They have worshipped bugs and trees and statues and sticks and rocks. All that stuff has brought them darkness. And then you bring them some light. They've never heard light before. You bear down. I did. You bear down and press in. Teach them every day all that you could every day as long as they'll sit there and they'd sit there all day. You give them the Word of God because this is life. This is life. This is life. But only if you believe it. It's an exercise in futility if you don't believe it because you got a head full of verses and no results. Your testimony is important. You've got to be able to say, I like to say that for the last so many years or whatever, that God has got us out of debt and we're blessed and we're healed and this and that. And it's all based on the fact that God said he would do this and we trust him for it. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with you being able to say, I've been well for 45 years? What's wrong with you saying, I haven't had a doctor's visit Medical deduction in 43 years. What's wrong with that? Should we apologize? Say, well, I'm repent for saying that. I'm sorry I said that. I don't know why God did that. Or is this the way it should be? Is that promised? Because if it's not promised, you're off base. If it's not God's will. If it's God's will, it'll be in the Bible, won't it? Well, everybody has to find out that for himself. But the only basis for faith is God's will. And faith is counting on God to do what he said. That's all it is. Biblical faith is counting on God to do what he said. To have faith in God is not only to believe that he is, but that he is who he is and that he will do what he said. And when the enemy comes against you like a flood, one of the great standards that God raises up is this quickening of the Spirit within you to bring this Word to your heart and you confess it with your mouth. And when the words of your mouth agree with the words in your heart and they both confirm God's Word, then it's faith. It's what we do. It's the way God gives us to fight. To fight the good fight. Didn't He say something about to fight the good fight of faith? Isn't that in the Bible somewhere, First Timothy? To fight a good fight? Why is the devil so afraid of your faith? Why did he try to turn Sergius Paulus in Acts 13 away from the faith? Why does he say to those who will listen, Hath God said? Why does the devil put a question mark where God puts a period? To deceive you, to turn you away, to make you listen to people of like deception so that you'll begin to think, well, and yes, maybe it doesn't work after all. Then the preacher says it does work. Well, you know, I don't know if I believe all that stuff. 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 It's the Word of God. It goes with you to the gate. To the gates of heaven. It goes with you. You build yourself up on your most holy faith by believing in this Word. You go with it. It goes with you. 
The Word is living and abiding inside of you. And you know what Jesus said about that? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you know what he said? You intercessors. He said, you will ask what you will, and it shall be done. Why don't Christians believe that? Why are we afraid to tell them that that'll work? Well, what about the ones that didn't work for? What about the ones that did work for? Why the negative? Why not the positive? There's a reason that a lot of people aren't getting things today. Spoke with a gentleman on the phone yesterday. Why don't we see this? Why don't we see that? You know, we have all these great promises. I said, those things are happening today. You just don't hear about it. There's a testimony every Sunday here about somebody got healed or got blessed or got turned around something. I said, the problem is, brother, I said, there's a people quit believing God. They don't expect God to do anything. They expect me to say he does. They expect the preacher to have glowing reports about God. They just don't expect it to work. It's not like we require it to happen. Require it? Demand of God? No, I'm not saying that. It was God who said, put me in remembrance. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Hold me to it. One time he said, test me. Prove me here with, and see if I won't open the gates of heaven for you. Test me. Oh, we're so afraid to. So our faith is based on what? Generalities, uncertainties. That's not faith, that's doubt. Faith is what you have when you can stand in the face of the storms of life and quote the Bible and quote the Word to God because you believe it in your heart. Let me tell you something about faith. It seems like this been several little minor skirmishes this year physically, you know, falling off of four-wheelers and stuff, and getting banged up. I don't know if you get knocked out, and I don't think I've ever been knocked out. I think I've been stunned. I mean, you wake up like this, and, you know, things are going around and around, and you say, my name is, and I live across the road. I can move. I'm not paralyzed. A tree doesn't move, but I'm okay. Then you start fighting because all the pain at night, the pain comes. The stiffness comes. I said, you're a little too old for that kind of stuff. I don't know if I am or not. It did. It happened. And so age has no more bearing on it. <laughs> when I'm 90 years old, if I got on that thing and I rolled off of it, you're a little too old for that. I probably was, but I'm still that old and I still got to deal with. <laughs> and you start fighting. You know how you fight? You put the word in your mouth and you speak to God. You speak. You speak with your mouth what God has put in your heart. You're prompted by the Spirit to do this. Not just once. I've learned to say this, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. It's His Word that I'm using. Every time the pain would pop up, no matter what the condition, I said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. You have no right to put on me what God put on Jesus. By the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. I state my case. Sometimes... Throughout the day, all day long, for two or three weeks, I just keep born in there. You know why? Because that's how you fight. If I was going to fight one of you, I'm going to pick a little one here. What if we got in the ring to fight and we did our little, you know, jumping around here and, and I threw one good punch, which I might have two, but I threw one of them. And then I drew back and said, I threw my punch. How many of you know the fight isn't over? 
You keep fighting. He's still there until you knock him out. And you pray, Lord, I pray for a good opening. I pray for a real good shot. I pray for one at this shriveled up arm going to get in there. I'm going to get him a good shot. And down he goes, fighting a good fight. Drew my sword. He's out. We drag him out. I put my sword back in there. All right. Let me tell you something. God is faithful. God watches over his word to perform it. I'm not done with this message. But that's okay. I'm going to say it more next week and finish it up. And you need to hear it. Amen. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would minister to our hearts by your Spirit the deeper meaning of your Word. So that it's not just something we heard from a man, but something that the Spirit of God has put into our hearts. A Word in season. A quickening Word. A living Word. Father, the people that I stand before will never do any better in this life than they do with their faith in your word. That's as far as they'll go. I pray that you would make them to see that we can go as far as we want to go. We can overcome anything and everything, every mountain, every difficulty, every valley. I ask you to help us. Help us to see that, understand that, and to walk that way. I pray this morning for every need that everybody has in this room that they would see that the source for their need being met is you, our God. That we have been given all these precious promises that we might prevail and not have to struggle and fall apart like so many in the world do, but that you've given us something to bring us above that. I pray for this assembly. You bless us with that kind of victory and that kind of faith. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus, you're my rock, you're my fortress, you're my deliverer, will I trust? Praise the
Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.